Welcome to Good Faith Reads. I'm your host, Callie Chisholm, one of the 2021 Ernest C. Hines Jr. interns at Good Faith Media. Good Faith Reads is a short podcast released twice a month in which we focus on one of our book authors at Good Faith Media. We've published more than 100 titles under our Nurturing Faith book imprint, and we invite you to check them out at goodfaithmedia.org bookstore. Today's guest is John Roebuck, author of Creating Space, and he is joining us remotely from Nashville. John, welcome to the podcast. Kelly, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm looking forward to our time together. Me too. So let's just dive right in. In your book, you write about five different types of space. Could you summarize those for our listeners? Yeah, it's sort of a progression of a thought in terms of how we begin to build and, and structure relationships and how they gain greater momentum and depth. Uh, so the five spaces, it really begins with um, uh, what we call simply physical space. And the idea behind that is that until we're intentional about inviting people to come into where we are, where we live, where we work, how we function, that's the first step. A lot of us never even get beyond that. It kind of depends if you're an extrovert or an introvert, but uh, it all begins with the willingness to say, I-, I want to create a relationship. And in order to do that, I have to create physical space. And that might be an open door to my office. It might be an empty chair at the table where I'm having lunch. It might be, uh, you know, an invitation to just join me in my driveway as we're just kind of talking as you're walking your dog or whatever it might be. So, so we begin with physical space. And once we have created that and allowed that to happen, that blends into um, conversational space. And conversations uh, can go in a dozen different directions. Most of the time when we begin to engage new relationships, conversations are very much on a shallow level. You know, we just talk about the weather. We talk about what are your plans for the weekend or how's your mom and them, those kinds of things. But if you talk often enough and consistently enough, then things begin to grow a little more uh, deeply in the relationship. You go from those simple conversations to things that begin to have a little more gravitas, a little more depth to them. And so that's the third uh, space that we create. And that's that relational space. Uh, Relational space is when we are willing to let ourselves go a little deeper uh, in the relationship building. It's where we begin to build what I call relational equity. We've spent enough time with this person. We've talked long enough. We've been in each other's presence long enough that we really have formed a relationship. It's more than just a casual acquaintance, someone we might, a neighbor we might wave at. Uh, it really goes to uh, becoming more of a, a friendship where we have a lot of dialogue and, and we begin to hear and listen to each other. And so after you've created that uh, relational space, Then you get to what I really think is the sweet spot of relationships. And I call that redemptive space. And redemptive space is when we know each other well enough and when we've logged enough time together that we really are able to redeem each other. We're able to hear each other. We're able to heal each other. Uh, We cry together. We laugh together. But we create this wonderful place of intimacy where where we really kind of do as Galatians 6, 2 states, where we, we carry one another's burdens and we so fulfill the law of Christ. It's that point of, of depth where we really begin to understand and we listen and we don't just uh, share opinions. We, we really want to talk and evaluate where the relationship's going. And then the fifth pa- uh, space that I suggest that we create is reflective space. Uh, one of the things I think we, we often don't allow ourselves is the time and energy to really reflect on what is being done or what's going on in our world 
And so if you have entered a relationship and if a friend has unloaded something on you, you know, do you have the time to really sit back and think about that and say, all right, what does that mean? Why did God put that person in my path today? Why do I know about that situation? What is the intended conversation? What is what does God want me to do in that moment? Or how does it affect my life? Was I responsive to the extent that I should have been? Uh, did I react appropriately? Am I willing to go even deeper and invest more with this individual? Uh, so those are the five main spaces. And again, it's an easy sort of stair step down. You go from physical to conversation to relational to redemptive and then to the reflective space. That's great. So where did you get the inspiration for creating space? You know, it sort of all began in my mind. Uh, it was actually pre-pandemic. The book was actually finished before the pandemic broke out. But even then, uh, I just noticed this, this horrible disconnect and, and divisive spirit within our culture where people become very siloed. They're siloed in their political opinion, in their religious beliefs, in their uh, regional uh, attitudes about different things. And, and so I began to wonder, how can you ever begin to bridge gaps? How can you ever begin to build relationships? And it began to dawn on me that if we're made in the image of God, some of the things that God is able to do, we should be able to do. And God certainly is a God of creation, a God who is able to separate the, the, the dry land from the sea, a God who made space for plants to grow and for animals to thrive. And so I think he put that in us. And that was part of my inspiration to think that God has created us as human beings with the ability to create space. Uh, we can make room for other people. We don't have to have a limited number of relationships or a limited number of friendships. We have the ability to expand who we are and to reach out and broaden that. And so kind of based on the idea that God creates space and that we need space for that to happen, I just began to think about some of the, um, the need for civil, rational, respectful dialogue that needed to happen and needs to happen in our culture. And how do we create that? And my thought was it has to be a very intentional step. Uh, no one's going to call you up today, for example, and say, hey, let's have a relationship and let's solve each other's problems. Uh, but when you begin to say, look, I'm open to having you come into my office. I'm open for a dialogue. I will give you time. I will give you some of my uh, energy. Um, then you begin to, uh, to see how that begins to unfold a little bit. So, um, so the inspiration was, how do we begin to connect people who are becoming more and more disconnected all the time? You mentioned that you wrote this book before the pandemic. How do you think the pandemic is affecting that? Well, I think one thing, it affected the timing when the book actually dropped because the book really invites people to gather with other people. And all of a sudden we couldn't gather with other people. So I'm hoping that it will continue to have more value as the world opens back up. And I hope this this Delta variant uh, interruption is is brief. I mean, it's obviously uh, very uh, prevalent right now and very powerful. And we need to do all we can to get our arms around that. But I, I do think uh, I've noticed, at least in the pandemic, even greater divisiveness. I mean, people are arguing over masks and whether or not you should get a vaccine. And and there's just this level of anger that's all across the culture. Uh, and it doesn't matter what side you're on politically or, or uh, anywhere in your thinking. It's how do we how do we reengage people? And so I think the book actually has the potential to be an even greater source of information and help to say, here's how you can begin to build relationships with people with whom you vastly disagree or that have uh, relationships that have been broken. How do you begin to piece them back together? 
Well, you are currently the executive director of the Reverend Charlie Kerb Center for Faith Leadership at Belmont. And I really enjoyed learning about your experiences with facilitating and creating conversational space with people from all walks of life in that role, um, which kind of hit home for me because I currently work for a program at East Tennessee State University called Diversity Educators. And we uh, also try to create those kind of spaces for difficult conversations about identity and culture. Um, so can you talk a little bit about your work at Belmont and maybe share an interesting story that has come about that work? Yeah, it's really, it's, it's an interesting thing. Uh, I was asked by our university president five years ago to sort of begin this program. Uh, and, and really the, the elevator speech is we try to teach faith leaders, however you want to define yourself as a faith leader, uh, to be relevant to culture, to be relational to community, and to be, uh, to be resourceful in, in how you go about funding the programs and things that you do. And so uh, one of the things that it has allowed us to do it has allowed me to break down a lot of um, barriers between various denominations. And so my program is very ecumenical in nature. We have people from all different religious and Christian stripes in particular. But I began to notice that there are all these topics that swirl around in our culture. And because they are in our culture, they affect the life and ministry of the local church. And so I began to think, how could we actually gather people together in a space, how could we create a space for that kind of conversation to happen? Something that would be non-competitive, non-threatening, but just to gather faith leaders in a room and say, hey, how are you handling this? Or what is your approach to this particular topic? And so we began structuring roundtable conversations. We literally would gather 20 people around a big table and I would lead a discussion. And if it was something I was not uh, particularly well versed in, I would have a specialist come in or we do a panel discussion. We've held about 30 of those now in five years that I've been in this, and we have talked about everything from caustic politics to gun violence to immigration. We've, we've taken on the LGBTQ, transgender kind of relationships. We've talked about abortion and gentrification and hunger and uh, just, you know, if it's out there, we're talking about it. And one of the things that's really nice about the way my program is structured um, is I have an awful lot of flexibility uh, and a lot of agility. Uh, that if I begin to see a need, if I begin to think of something that is impacting the life and work of the local church, it's a very short run to think about, oh, here's the need. And I can put something together very quickly to begin to address that. Doesn't mean that we're going to always be able to provide all the answers. But the idea, again, is that if we create space for the dialogue to happen, we really begin to resource and learn from each other. Uh, it becomes a really helpful thing. Uh, in fact, I, I just did a a program yesterday on discouragement as a leader. How do you fight off discouragement? Uh, those kind of conversations uh, just have been really helpful and um, really kind of go hand in hand with what the book's about. It's just creating the moments, the time uh, for that to happen. Do you have any advice for facilitating discussions that you could share that you've learned over the course of your time in this role? Yeah, I, I think one is... Um, in the creating of space for the, for dialogue to happen, it does take a facilitator who has an open-mindedness, someone who is not going to let one particular person dominate the conversations that are out there, but to give balance and let each side be heard. Um, I think there's a sense of risk that's a part of that. I mean, if you bring in 20 people in a room and say, hey, we're going to talk about politics today you know, you better be ready for some divergent opinions that may get angry at times. Uh, one of the things I wrote about in the book was 
I was hosting a group one time on Diversity Day, uh, a program here in Nashville. And in this Diversity Day discussion, we had uh, Christians, we had Jews, we had Muslims, we had Hindus, we had the full spectrum of, of religious thought. And it was so interesting to see how the various religious groups had a lack of tolerance for each other. And just to be able to kind of keep everybody at arm's length and say, hey, we're, we're going to treat each other as friends here. We don't have to agree on everything, but we do have to agree to be civil. And so I think that's part of what you learn is to know that not everyone's going to agree when you get in the room. Uh, not everybody's going to agree with you as a leader in the positions that you might be taking. Uh, and that you might even get some some shots from outside people. Well, I don't even know why y'all are talking about that. That shouldn't be talked about at a Christian university. And, you know, again, you just remind people we're, we're here to grow and learn and how we're going to do that if we don't listen to each other. Great. Thank you. We'll be right back in 30 seconds with more of Good Faith Reads. Lot Carey is proud to bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest pastors coast to coast. Our new podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, delivers wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or listen online at lotcary.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y.org. We look forward to the pilgrimage with you. Welcome back to Good Faith Reads. Today we're joined remotely by John Roebuck, author of the Good Faith Media book, Creating Space. I'm Callie Chisholm, Ernest C. Hines, Jr. intern for Good Faith Media. John, in the book, you write about carving out time for reflective space in the midst of an incredibly demanding work routine and schedule and how hard it can be to rest when you feel overworked. Can you talk about how you balance your work responsibilities with your desire to write without experiencing burnout? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. It's something we all struggle with is time management, right? How do we get into our schedule, all the things that we we try to get in? And, And part of that is you know, a a prioritization. In other words, is it a priority to write? Is it a priority to think? One of the things that we are bad about, I think, as individuals is we're so immersed in our work ethic and we just go, 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 that we don't schedule our free time or our reflective time with as much intentionality. And so one of the things I think has to be built into your daily planner or your scheduler is when is that me time? When do I have that time to kind of sit back and think and reflect for a minute? Um, I had a seminary professor, Dr. Wade Rowett. He used to teach us that everybody needs to recess daily, relax weekly, and retreat monthly. And by that, he meant, you know, every day there ought to be some just some time for, for yourself, whether that's 15 minutes or 20 minutes, doesn't have to be a long time, but a little time just to regather, to think, to alter the pace a little bit. I found it extremely helpful just to take a little stroll around campus, just to clear my mind and to get kind of ready to refocus when I get back into the office. Uh, I I do try to take very seriously uh, a day off each week. Um, A a wise friend of mine once said, if you don't plan your free time, somebody else will. And a lot of wisdom in that, because even on the days that you quote are going to be your days off, if you're not really intent on keeping that as your day off, somebody will always say, hey, we're pulling in. Can we pull you in on a meeting or can you meet us up? So you just got to be really careful about that. And so I think for me, it's a discipline of saying I can't do everything uh, that I want to do if I don't schedule that out. And, and for me in writing uh, in writing this book and other books that I've put together, 
It's being able, and I have a real luxury. I have the opportunity, at least for the first 30 minutes or so that I'm in the office every day, uh, I can I can schedule out everything else. So I just have time to read, think, and write, uh, and that's that's been very helpful. But, again, it's about intentionality. There's a priority. Uh, if you want to get this done, this is what it's going to take. And um, when, when I was a pastor for uh, 32 years, you, know, you tried to carve that out during the week, and some weeks you got it done and some weeks you didn't. And you found yourself, you know, feverishly writing on Saturday night to get that sermon finished up. So I have a little more of a relaxed schedule now, which is which is helpful. Uh, but again, uh, it's not going to happen without, you know, making some things a priority. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think there's a lot of people now that are trying to make, you know, mental health and, you know, personal time more important and more of a priority. And so I really enjoyed uh, what you wrote about that. Um, you also write about... Um, uh, redemptive, redemptive space, and you have a lot of great stories in this book, and I was particularly captivated by one you told about Mark, who called your church for guidance and counsel, and he was on the phone with a woman named Ruth. Yeah. So could you share that story with our listeners? I think it's a great example of that redemptive space that you write about. Yeah, it, it is a great story. Um, when I was at Woodmont Baptist here in Nashville, uh, senior pastor for 17 years, we were on live TV, and so we actually, you know, in our television broadcast, you know, on the bottom of the screen, there would be the number, right? And, and we would encourage people to call the number on the screen. And so uh, we had a, a very dedicated group of uh, volunteers who would man the phones during the service every week, and they would, you know, respond to people when they called. But this guy named Mark uh, showed up one time, and, and Mark's story was Mark grew up uh, in a compound, literally sort of like you would envision a compound up in Ohio, with a very restrictive sort of environment. His father was mentally and physically and verbally abusive to him. And so Mark had made up his mind that when he got old enough, he was gonna to try to get away from his father and literally uh, dug out a, a little trench under a fence and crawled out one night when he was 18 years old, had some friends on the outside to pick him up. And he made his way as far away from his father as he could. He went all the way out to California. And uh, really trying to escape that that painful life that he'd been through, and uh, and so you know he was he was alone, he was scared, uh, didn't have a lot of money, um, didn't have friends, and so he kind of fell victim to a lot of things, and he got into a lot of addictive behavior. Uh, the the drug crowd took him in pretty quickly and got him hooked, and then he tried you know he went from one drug to you know went from alcohol to harder drugs, and then he had to come up with a way of paying for that. And that led him to all kinds of trouble. Uh, he stole cars. Uh, he even got to a point where he was uh, allowed himself to become a male prostitute. He would sell himself out to, to men for money just to pay for the, the drugs that he needed to sort of escape his past. But anyway, in that process, he developed AIDS and found his way back to Nashville. He was in experimental treatment time at that time uh, down at Vanderbilt. And uh, so was in a cheap hotel and was flipping through the channels one Sunday morning and caught our television service. We were we were live TV and it said, call the number on the screen. And uh, so he did. He called the number. And in the providence of God, he got this lady named Ruth. Ruth and her husband were career missionaries in Africa and, and quite honestly had one of the most kind and gentle hearts of anybody I've ever known kind of person who would sit and listen and never judge and just offer grace over and over again. And so she started talking to Mark 
and uh, he, he started calling every week, and she kept inviting him to come to church, and uh, some days uh, he thought about it, some days he didn't, but he finally started coming, and some days uh, he would reek of alcohol and cigarettes, and some days a little more put together, but he came and started sitting on the back row and then started moving a little closer to the front. Finally, because of the embrace of Ruth and the church congregation, uh, he felt the, a comfortable, safe place. So he joined the church, and we actually led him to faith, and actually I had the privilege of baptizing him uh, into the kingdom and, and all that sort of thing. And later moved away, moved to Florida, uh, and uh, died as a result of AIDS. Uh, and the thing that was poignant to me is he was my age. He was 49 years old when he died, and I was 49 at the time. And just to see how, you know, uh, the difference that, that sometimes different life path takes. It's interesting, but the thing that was important about that story in redemptive space, the one question he always would call and ask is, can God still love someone like me? Can God, does God value me? Does God care about me? And you had this woman who was willing to enter into a relationship with them, and, and it became so deep that it became that redemptive spot where she began to, to, to love on him and to teach him and, and there was a trust that developed. And out of that sense of trust, you know, he kind of stuck his foot in the water and came to church one Sunday. Uh, and, and so that's what redemptive space does. It takes people who are absolutely broken and abused, who think they're beyond the redemptive grace of God and says, you're welcome here. We, we invite you to come into the space. An important note to all of our listeners, we at Good Faith Media are always accepting book proposals. Our authors engage with an experienced team of editors, designers, and marketers to produce and sell books on a variety of topics. If you have a book proposal you'd like to run by us, head on over to goodfaithmedia.org bookstore for more information. That's goodfaithmedia.org bookstore. So John, I wonder if you would read for us a sentence or two from the book that you think is critical for listeners to hear, whether that's because it's representative of the book or because you think it's especially important for people to hear right now. You know, it's a dangerous thing to ask a preacher, author to say, hey, just give us a few words, you know, because that's usually about 20 minutes in our, in our <laughs> you know, our world. But uh, I, I do, I have selected a passage um, out of um, the chapter on redemptive space, because to me, that's really the heart of what the book is trying to say. So, um, so here, here's what I would read for you today. It's a little longer than two sentences. So forgive that's me. Fine. That's all right. <laughs> uh, I ask in the book, what if each of us could learn how to create such a place of welcome, a place of non-judgment where helpful thoughts and prayers and listening compassion are in the places where we live? What if each of us was willing to invest deeply in the life of another? What if we were willing to give away some of our life in order to help others reclaim a little of theirs? The creation of such a space is deliberate, willful, and time-consuming. It takes acceptance. It takes attention. It takes listening. It takes compassion. It takes a non-judgmental spirit. It takes investment. The goal of redemptive space is not to tolerate or accept or sanction someone's poor choices or past mistakes. It's not about creating a surface level, feel good about yourself moment. It's about the hard work of taking a broken aspect of someone's life and helping them find a healing balm. It's about bridging separation. It's about swapping self-loathing for a healthy self-loving reality. It's about turning bitterness into joy and shame into esteem. It's about teaching someone to speak a new language of hope and renewal rather than the abusive words of shame and sorrow. 
Thank you so much for reading that. Our guest today on Good Faith Reads has been John Roebuck, author of Creating Space. The book, along with more than 100 other titles, is available as both a print book and ebook at goodfaithmedia.org bookstore. John, we appreciate you being our guest today. Kelly, thank you so much. I've enjoyed the time.